Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harshberger, President of Measurable Results, LLC, and martinharshberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest in our podcast, go to www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another great episode of Manufacturing Supply Chain CEOs. I'm your host, Mike Freeman. Our guest today is Alicia Trapper of Cambridge Security Seals. You can find out more about Alicia and his company at cambridgeseals.com. Alicia, thank you for being with us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Your your LinkedIn profile certainly uh, uh, has quite the history. Uh, yeah, it's it- I've had a few different, let's call it stages or career career stages. Excellent. Um, I've been a strategy consultant. I've been an M and A advisor. I've owned packaging companies. I've done turnarounds. Uh, I was involved uh, with HP for a while on a uh, digital product advisory basis. Um, I've been the, the real theme through it all is I've focused on building businesses, or turning around businesses, or starting businesses and trying to develop a sustainable competitive advantage in those businesses that really provided value to the customers or the clients, whatever was involved. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, as I can see through some of your resume, that that's, uh, that's amazing. And um, can you tell us a little bit more about Cambridge Security Seals? Sure. Um, security Seals are a product that unless you are using them, uh, buying them or making them, you probably don't even know they really exist. Um, sure. What a security seals is in essence is think of a seal back from the days of you know kings and queens. When they'd send a message from one place to another, they would take the envelope, drop drip wax on this and then put their seal on it. Right. And as long as the seal was intact, they knew that no one had seen what was inside of it. Uh, it basically uh, is, is all about uh, you know ensuring the integrity of the contents. Um, seals, uh, security seals today are used uh, on trucks, shipments for medical. They're used on airline beverage carts. They're used in cash handling. They basically ensure that from point A to point B, there's been no uh, intrusion inside. That means that there's been no tampering. There's been no theft. There's been no pilferage. Basically, the chain of custody has remained intact throughout. And that's what a seal is. Each one is that we make is uniquely identifiable. Um, it's, we make, it's one piece, uh, it's single use. If you can reuse it, it's defective, sure. uh, by, by definition. Uh, and we started the company, uh, a little more than 10 years ago. Uh, as a result, I had been running a company that purchased security seals. That was a, uh, was a, that was a distributor of security seals. And the, there was a major consolidation in North America, through private equity of the seal manufacturers. And there was a real tendency to move the all of the manufacturing of these seals overseas, uh, particularly to Asia. And what that meant was a degradation in service and lead times. Uh, And I felt given my experience in automation and digitization and 
in, in some cases uh, in manufacturing, uh, I thought we could uh, produce the product that was better than the existing products out there and produce it at a very competitive cost to what was being done in Asia. Uh, and we built a company, uh, highly automated, uh, using uh, developed new products, uh, designed the products to basically be uh, best in class. Uh, my thinking was, if we couldn't do a better product and we couldn't do it at a lower cost, why get into it at all? We had to be able to really offer some kind of value uh, on the product itself and then build the customer and build the uh, company around customer centricity, which is something I've done really in every business I've been in, which is find out what customers want and make sure that everything that we're doing at every point along the way is in service of that, of delivering what they want. Um, and that's basically how, we, how, we, how we've proceeded with Cambridge and we've grown very, very quickly over the years. Excellent. Did you see a uh, company's 10 years old? So in the last 10 years, was there a, an exponential year where um, the education around security seals or the need for these um, really increased in a specific industry? I would imagine a medical medical now is maybe one of your top. Sure. Well, you know, to be fair to most of these industries, they've been very, very security conscious for, for many, many years, for decades. Okay. Um, the FDA has certain requirements, um, government has certain requirements, but the companies themselves, it is very economically advantageous to have these kind of security protocols in place. Uh, to give you an example, if you are a dairy shipping a tanker of milk uh, to a processor, um, that tanker may have five or six different openings where you could potentially get in, something could potentially get in to uh, tamper with or to infect the milk that's in there. Right. So you don't want to risk an entire shipment going bad because you're not sure if something got into it. So you're going to make sure that every one of those is sealed. And when it arrives, there's full confidence that nothing's been interfered with. Um, so it's, you know, for the cost of a few seals, which is very insignificant, uh, you basically ensure the, uh, the safety and security of a, of a very expensive shipment. Excellent. And uh, most of your products are made from recycled or 100%? Uh, no, it's a mix, actually. Okay. Um, some are made uh, from uh, virgin. Some are made combination. Uh, some are made fully recycled. Um, it, uh, for the most part, you can request, uh, and we have customers who want fully recycled seals. That's an option. Um, a lot of our product can be required. You can have a hybrid. Um, depends on, you know, really depends on the customer. We can do it all. What we have emphasized is to have the zero waste facility so that none of our product, uh, none of our waste product is wasted, uh, so to speak. And, and if there are parts of our uh, products that we can't recycle ourselves internally or do, or, or do something with, we have other companies that can work with those products and we move it to them uh, so they can use them. Uh, and that's, that, that's with the plastics itself, but we also, uh, we've gone to a closed loop system on water. So we're using the same water over and over again, as opposed to what we were doing initially and what a lot of companies do. And that has saved millions of gallons of, of water. Uh, that's been a very key component uh, to what we've done as well. Um, just we're conscious of it. And, sure. you know, it's not just about environmental. It's also profitable. It, it, it makes sense business wise. And I find in general that most environmental concerns can be solved profitably because in general, conservation of resources, conservationism, and efficiency go hand in hand. They're not antithetical. They're actually part of the same puzzle. Sure. Uh, I did look at some of the uh, YouTube videos on the website. Um, you guys have about 60 employees. How many different 
divisions do you have? It fluctuates. We're running now, uh, our manufacturing is all done in New York out of one facility. Um, uh, we run around the clock. We've been running 24-7 for about seven years now. Wow. Uh, even during COVID, didn't miss a day, didn't miss an hour, didn't, you know, kept it open. We were quickly uh, instructed that we were an essential manufacturer. Um, so we kept open. We put uh, some serious protocols in place, health and safety protocols in place uh, to make sure that we're able to keep going. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a very solid year in terms of us really being able to minimize the effect of COVID on the actual operation itself. Um, obviously, because of the, sh- the slowdown in the economy and the shutdowns and things like that, volume plummeted, you know, especially in industries like airlines, hospitality, things like that. But as far as our manufacturing capacity and capabilities, uh, we, we didn't take a hit at all. That's great. Um, with the last year that we've had, what are some of the biggest challenges you've seen um, either with uh, your customers or even your suppliers? Um, I think that one of the big challenges for us going forward is commodity pricing, obviously, which is really, uh, it's kind of gone haywire. Um, There have been some artificially induced shortages, uh, which have really uh, interfered with what would the normal supply chain or or the normal production of of plastic resins and things like that. Um, Hopefully over time that levels off, but right now we've seen a real uptick in those costs. Um, Labor costs have gone up both in terms of uh, wages, but also in terms of benefits and things like that. We try and offer a very attractive benefits package, but that comes at a very very significant cost and those costs keep going up. Uh, That's not new to anyone who's running a business. That's kind of the American way right now. but uh, as far as our customers go, I think they're a they're dealing with a lot of those same challenges. Um, I think that customization is a very big part of what business is about nowadays. Uh, you know, I used to be you know everything was generic and ordered in bulk and things like that. And as companies more and more get used to both in terms of the way they service their customers and the way they expect to be serviced by their vendors, uh, they all expect everything to be customized from the products to the service to, you know, just in every way, shape or form. And I think that that is, um, that's where the companies are really starting to differentiate themselves, who can really customize their delivery of products and services to each individual customer. Right. So in the, in the last year, um, not much has really changed other than, um, like you said, your, your customers, the airlines and, um, so your volume is has decreased. Um, with that, where has the shift kind of been inside the company? Is are you focusing more on R and D or um, looking at future projects? Um, yeah, I, I think that the year was difficult in the sense that it wasn't just an, a, a business as usual. We had to really uh, be very flexible in terms of what we were doing. Thankfully, it does look like it's rebounding pretty solidly now. Yes. Um, and we hope we hope to really uh, take advantage of what we were able to do during the year. We did devote a lot of effort and resources towards streamlining some of our processes internally, um, increase improving efficiencies. Uh, we introduced several new protocols that should help us uh, increase both the efficiency of the equipment that we have, as well as really be able to offer more in terms of options to our customers. Um, Overall, I think the R and D part of the equation, uh, it was it was a difficult year to do R and D because it was all done from your desktop. You couldn't go out and and, and learn things. 
Uh, One of the things that we really do is we go out into the field, whether it's at trade shows or to vendors or to other manufacturers, we we like to go out and see equipment, machinery, technology, and, and, you know, whether it's plastic production, lasers, uh, packaging equipment, you know, whatever you're doing, you like to see it in action. And we're reduced to seeing it on videos. Uh, So it's it's a little different type of R&D. But it did provide us a great opportunity. We have a team of young engineers just a few years out of school, and we were able to really uh, focus on teaching them and training them how to do certain things, how to do research, how to do an RFP, how to put together a project from start to finish. So I think beneficial overall, it was a very beneficial training year for, uh, for a lot of the operation. Excellent. Uh, this, this show is called Manufacturing Supply Chain CEOs. Uh, we talk with a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, founders of companies, and what a lot of the conversation can focus on, and we did touch on a little bit of this, is uh, a lot of the issues they're dealing with are personnel, execution, supply chain. Um, it sounds like you're doing pretty well in those areas. Uh, do you see anything in the industry uh, that maybe there are some issues that need to be addressed? Whether I, I saw you shake your head a little bit. Sure. So yeah, well, a little bit going on. As a manufacturer, our struggle is always finding people because there just aren't uh, that there isn't a line of people out the door looking to get into manufacturing, coming out of school, coming out, you know, in the workforce, there still is this residual effect where people view manufacturing as dirty labor intensive. When in fact, it's really much more high tech at this point, it's learning how to operate machinery. It's learning how to program machinery. It's, it's learning how to maintain equipment and machinery. It's learning how to plan, how to, how to program. It's a lot of those. And that's just not something that, the labor marketplace is kind of caught up with yet. So uh, keep you know, right now, we probably have multiple vacancies in, se- in several areas, simply not because we just don't have app- qualified applicants for those positions. Um, so that's, that, that's, that's a real issue um, as far as that goes. Um, I think also there is a general sense that manufacturing is returning to the U.S., okay? But it's not returning as it was before. Um, our volume in manufacturing in this country is going up. Um, I read somewhere recently that it actually never decreased, just the jobs decreased. And there's a fear that all this automation and AI and robotics is going to, again, chase jobs away. Um, I'm not seeing that. What I'm seeing is the jobs are just changing. It, it, right. They're becoming more, it, it, they're moving up, upstream. And, you know, again, we don't need manual labor on the lines. We need you know, real intelligent programming to build the equipment, to build the lines, to maintain the lines, to program the lines. This is this is what we're looking for. And I think that's the big challenge for manufacturers going forward. Right. Awesome. Um, so there's a lot of geopolitical aspects with your company and uh, um, you primarily provide your services, the plastics to uh, the Cambridge Seals, to U.S. companies. Are you guys global? Uh, we sell globally. Our primary markets are in North America. Okay. Um, we we do sell globally. Um, some of our products are specialized and are used, you know, around the world. Some global companies like to have a single source for all their uh, seals around the world. So you know, there's that. We have distributors in various countries and locations around the world uh, who 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 sell our product as well. But the vast majority of our uh, business is North American based. Okay. Um, so. 
do you, how does the process work where you're focusing on or trying to anticipate um, potential issues down the road uh, as we talk geopolitics? Uh, and as you mentioned, c- commodities, uh, I mean, they can easily go up and down in these huge swings. Uh, someone's elected here or this uh, regulation here. Uh, how do you guys, you have like a a mastermind meeting are there uh, certain people in your in your company that you uh you know have a focus group or how do you go about tackling those issues so a few ways uh the first is we have a, a senior management meeting every friday morning um okay. and that's just everyone in each uh you know the five key managers in the company we're all aware of what's going on in each other's areas so that we're not working in silos but we really understand what's happening uh, and there's a good knowledge transfer and information transfer that goes on during those meetings. But I think a lot of it has to do with reading and speaking to people in your industry and beyond your industry. Um, and we do a lot of that from vendors and customers we talk to. Uh, we speak with uh, financial professionals. Um, we do a lot of research into uh, commodity pricing, as I mentioned to you before. Um, we also, we, I think we, we anticipated what's going on now in terms of the global shipping problems uh, in terms of the overcapacity uh, or the undercapacity, the, the you know the the lead times lengthening, uh, the expenses going up, uh, we anticipated that really as, as early as last summer we started reading that these were things that people were were starting to get concerned about. So, you know, things that we were uh, anything that we had to do that we had to bring in or we had to we 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 up the volumes and we 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 added to it and we, we tried to stay ahead of the curve there. I think we did that. As successfully as could as we could have possibly done, so we were ahead of the curve on that. Um, we understand the commodity pricing is, you know, subject to so many different factors that we absolutely can't even predict. Um, sure. uh, obviously, uh, this administration has their policies that affects commodity pricing, um, but there's a global effect to a lot of these things as well. Um, every time there's an environmental announcement, that affects it. Things like that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, in a nutshell, it's just reading and speaking to as much people, as many people as you can, and trying to get as good a feel for probability as you can, and, and trying to act on that, and, and not being afraid to act on that. Understood. Um, how do you view 2021, 2022 positive outlook? Are you anticipating many changes? or um, Overall, in terms of business, I think we're going to have a natural bounce back. So I think 2021 will be positive. I, I think that there's uh, a good reason for optimism that 21 will be certainly better than 2020. Sure. Um, uh, beyond 2021, I'd like to feel that you know there'll be a momentum and that will carry into 2022 and beyond. But I worry sometimes that, and not as a particular uh, statement about anyone in particular, I worry that politicians sometimes will get in the way of that. Um, right. Sometimes it, with well-meaning, the best of intentions, they'll manage to throw a, uh, you, know, you know, a fork into, in, into everything and just, and just ruin a good thing. Uh, and I'm always kind of wary about that. And that doesn't matter who, which administration, who's in there. Right. There's sometimes, sometimes the politics can just absolutely interfere with, with businesses. And I just, you know, from my standpoint, just kind of, do everything, but just keep away from business, keep away from, from influencing, uh, from impacting on us and let us do our thing and we'll all be better for it. Yeah. Uh, stifling innovation, uh, isn't always the, 
the best thing for any politician or administration. You get all these heads together and sometimes the outcome is dismal, but uh, save that for another conversation. Right. Uh, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this show. And if you could kind of explain a little bit more of your success that got you from point A to point B um, and uh, whether it was uh, schooling, I know you said that, um, you know, working for the companies you did and you saw how that you, uh, the way they were manufacturing, it was shipping overseas and you wanted to keep it here. Um, is there a specific uh, success story or something that you can share with some of our listeners that uh, might impact them as entrepreneurs trying to figure out how they can grow and scale? Uh, right. So I, I think the first thing to understand is there, in my experience, they're starting a company and scaling a company are two very separate uh, concepts. Sure. Um, you're, you're looking when you're starting a business, you're looking for an opportunity for a niche for uh, something that new or unique that you can introduce into a marketplace. Uh, you don't, in, from my experience, you don't want to have to create a market for something. You want to basically spot a market for something and then be able to fill a need in the market. I think that's a much more effective uh, way to get going. Um, and then you have to just be nimble and be really ready to accept the fact that you can't decide this is what I'm going to sell, this is who I'm going to sell it to, and this is where we're going to sell it and how we're going to sell it. And how you have to be able to accept the feedback that the marketplace is giving you and adjust and, and pivot and, and, and change things along the way. Um, I've never seen a business plan that actually two, three years down the road came to fruition. It, it just doesn't happen that way. It, you can't, none of us are that smart. None of us are that, you know, thankfully stubborn. Um, reality kicks you in the face and you have to respond to it. So I think that that's a really uh, important mindset to go into it. If you go into the minds with the mindset thinking, I've got it all down pat. This is exactly how we're going to do it. And then everything that tells you, no, you ignore and you just kind of keep that tunnel vision. I think that I think that's that's dangerous and that's harmful. Um, and that and then when you scale up a business, I think there are a lot of ways to scale. You know, you 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 can scale horizontally, you can scale vertically. Sometimes uh, you look and say, can I broaden my product line? Can I broaden my customers? Do I take the same product line to a broader market? To broader markets. Uh, these are things that you kind of have to look at and decide and say, hey, what's the best allocation of resources that I, that I can do? And where's my return going to be the best? And I think if you let the numbers and reality do the talking, um, as opposed to your gut, um, and that's always that's always the challenge, right? When your gut tells you one thing, but all the data tells you something else, um, it's a real discipline to say, I'm going to trust the data and 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 put put my pride and my gut on the shelf and, and let it happen. I think that's that's a discipline and, and a trait that people, you know, it, it's worth cultivating. Right. Now that's an important lesson. Thank you for sharing that with us. Cause a lot of, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, they, they think their gut is always the right thing. And, uh, it just takes experience to, to learn when, uh, like you said, the data is what's most important. Um, before we wrap up, Alicia, uh, there anything else you'd like to share? Any future projects that uh, Cambridge Security Seals is working on, and maybe you can pop the lid off a little bit. Uh, well, on a couple of areas, we are always looking to more to increase automation and efficiency. That that's kind of like what drives us all the time. Because when we do that, we can then take our same people if we can, and do more with them. Uh, one of the things that we've really focused on over the last few years is say, how do we expand our capacity? 
with, without having incredible amounts of capital expenditures. Um, because typically you're a manufacturer, you want to expand capacity, buy more equipment, you know, that, that, you know, build another plant that that's typically the way we do it. What we've challenged our team to do is to find ways to increase capacity without having to do that or with very minimal uh, capital expenditures. And what we have found is that today, compared to where we were three or four years ago, we've increased our capacity probably by 30, 40 percent without having to add any equipment, uh, any major, any major equipment or any or any more people. We've able uh, we've been able to do that by finding ways to just do things more efficiently. Um, lean manufacturing is not just about you know all the processes in you know going into into the manufacturing process. It's literally within each process. It's figuring out can I get a tenth of a second faster on this? Can I get a tenth of a second faster on this? Can I do you know? And all of a sudden you realize I get a tenth of a second faster on one process that can save me in the entire scheme of thing twenty hours a year. Well, if you save twenty hours a year. You throw that across 20 hours a year, across a dozen pieces of equipment, all of a sudden now you've saved 240 hours a year, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you keep you keep doing those 10 seconds. All of a sudden you do three or four of those. You've now added another line without actually adding another line. Right. And that's how we really focus on it. Every little every little piece helps. And I think that that's that's our focus, that that's really the way we try and do things uh, on the manufacturing side of things. Great. Awesome. Uh, well. Alicia, thank you very much uh, for your time and your valuable insight. Um, can you tell us uh, where our listeners can find out more about you and Cambridge Security Seals? Sure. Uh, I am on LinkedIn, uh, Alicia Tropper. Um, uh, it's probably the easiest way to find out about me. Our company is on LinkedIn also, and we have, our website is uh, cambridgeseals.com. Uh, we're a New York-based manufacturer of Tampa Evidence Security Seals. Um, proudly made in the USA. It's something that we, we we like our people to promote because we feel it's important. People should should be proud to make it in your home country. Um, and uh, we are we would love more business. So if anyone has seal business that they're looking for a great vendor for, I encourage you to contact us. Excellent. Well, we certainly appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's Cambridge Security Seals at cambridgeseals.com. And Alicia Trapper, you can find him on LinkedIn. And uh, again, thank you very much. I'm sure our listeners uh, walked away with a wealth of information. I always enjoy speaking with people like yourself. So thank you much for being here. And to all the listeners out there, we will catch you on the next episode of Manufacturing Supply Chain CEOs. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain and would like to be part of the program, please visit www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harsberger. Or through my website, www.martinharsberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.